with me now to uh, Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, it's near, it's probably Wednesday, I think, of, uh, of Holy Week, and, and Jesus will soon be on the cross. And he and his disciples are sitting on uh, Mount Olives, and they're looking down on Jerusalem. And, of course, Jerusalem is, it was gorgeous back then, and, and especially the, uh, the temple just dominated what they were looking at. And it, and it was beautiful. It was, it was gorgeous. And uh, in the uh, Gospel of Mark, it actually tells us, you know, how the, how the disciples were complimenting um, and, and look at the stones, etc. And then Jesus begins to prophesy, and he talks about how that temple is going to be completely destroyed. And then he goes on into a whole longer uh, prophecy, which we see in Matthew 24. And, and hard, a lot of hard things in, in, in these prophecies. And so we'll uh, begin our reading at verse 36. And, and I changed my, uh, my actual text a little bit from verse 44 to 46 to 42 to 46. So starting at verse 36 of Matthew chapter 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his, servant, whom his master has set over his household? to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and, to, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put them with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends our reading. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, again, having read your holy, infallible, and inspired word, a word that is filled with power, a word of depth, but a word, Father, that unless your Holy Spirit applies it, we cannot see it or understand it. So we pray, Father, be with my mouth. Bring together the thoughts of my heart and mind and, and the meditations of my heart and mind in such a way that it is pleasing to you. And Father, be with each one here present or listening and, and, and strengthen, encourage, and build up your people in your word. Father, all these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. 
Amen. A story is told years ago about a ship that was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, and it was an older ship, and they ran into a storm, and it was not going well. The waves were tossing and turning it, and, and it was starting, and it was creaking a lot, and there was water coming in, and the, the passengers were talking to each other, and they were very concerned, very anxious, and so one of them went to the captain and just put it to him straight. Captain, are we safe? And the captain says, well, I'll put it to you this way. The boilers on this ship are old and very weak, and they're at full capacity. The, the boiler, of course, is part of the power plant that produces the power, and, and during a storm like that, you're going to need all the power you can get. And so we've got it running at max, and, and the truth is it might blow up, it might explode at any time. Also, the ship is old. She's taking on water. So to be honest with you, we might blow up or we might go down. We might go up or we might go down. But at any rate, we're going on. When we look forward into this coming year, there's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be anxious about. For many of us, the whole presidential election year, which is 2024, has become a nail-biting, gut-wrenching, painful, even grievous event, the likes of which seems more strange and more bizarre than most of us have ever experienced in our life. It just seems to get worse and worse, and we and just basically throw up your hands, what are we even doing? For others, the economy is an area of anxiety. High interest rates, a national debt of over $34 trillion, and growing by the second, by the second. How long can that continue? On an international level, the ongoing war in Israel has all the nations of the Middle East very angry, very upset, and arming up and, and coming up to a higher and higher uh, level of preparedness for war. Russia is amping up their war in the Ukraine even as we speak. On Saturday, I was reading a little article about uh, one of the top Dutch generals, and he was telling the government that they need to prepare. We need to get ready. Because when Russia, it's only a thousand miles from Moscow to the Netherlands. And what's going to stop them once they get rolling? And of course, behind this, brothers and sisters, the big one is, is China. China is pushing to gain dominance economically and militarily all over the world. And that's just a fact. And that's just a few things. There are far more things going on out there. From a human perspective, there are many reasons to be worried, to be anxious as we look toward the future. But as we gather on this last day of December and we look forward to the coming year, I wanted to look for a few moments at how Jesus gives assurance to his disciples and to his people just prior to the cross. Just prior to the cross, Jesus had prophesied about things to come. He had spoken about the things that we see happening in the world today. 
He spoke of the troubles, the wars, the persecutions, and the tribulation. And finally, the second coming of Jesus. But then he said, But that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father alone. No one knows when Christ will come again, but he is coming. And he will come like Noah's flood. Suddenly, seemingly without warning, and all of a sudden, he'll be here. And the truth is, if you read chapter 24, it all sounds very frightening. And there is a truth to, to the terror that will attend that day and that hour. But brothers and sisters, it was never the Lord's intent that we should live in fear. The church and the children of God have been carefully instructed on, on how to be ready for that day. Three things that Christians are to do so as not to fear as we, as we go forward. Watch, be ready, and be faithful. The first one, watch. Verse 42 and 43, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So we don't have a lot of, t a lot of time for e any of these points, so I'm just going to try to hit, hit each one kind of briefly. Obviously, in, in the ESV, they translate watch, and I think I, I, like, I like that translation too, because in the Greek, that word means stay awake. Stay awake. If you know that a thief is coming in the middle of the night, then stay awake. But what is Jesus really talking about? Is he talking about physically being awake, 24 hours a day watching, or is he speaking about something else? He's, he's speaking spiritually. He speaks of spiritual alertness versus a spiritual laziness or sleepiness. Those who are sleeping, brothers and sisters, are those who think that just because their life is pleasing to them, just because they like their life and how their life is going, they refuse to look around and to see how broken this world really is. Those who are sleeping are those who are living their best life now. And as Jesus said to the rich man in Luke chapter 16, from the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, when he died, right, there was the, if, if you remember that parable, Jesus is talking about a, a rich man, and if you read carefully, you'll understand that he's talking about somebody that, that worships God, somebody that sacrifices daily, somebody that's praying, all the time. Somebody that's living a, a seemingly, on the outside, a, a very a good life. But right outside his gate is a man. Full of sores and broken. A man who needs some help. And he knows his name. Because as he speaks to Abraham in, in, in Jesus' parable. As he speaks to Father Abraham, who Lazarus is now hanging out with. He says, have Lazarus bring me some water. He knows the man. He knew the man. He knew his name, and he knew his condition, and he knew his situation. But he was too busy living the good life to care about the neighbor and the man that was in need right outside his own gate. And this is what 
Jesus says through the mouth of Abraham. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Brothers and sisters, those who are loving their life in this world and enjoying the good things that this life has to offer while turning a blind eye to all the pain, to the suffering and the brokenness that is going around them are sleeping. The whole idea in the word of God is that if you and I have the ability to help someone that is in need and we see that person, we know that person, or they're in our circle, or just outside our circle, if we have the ability to help them and we don't, we are blameworthy. When Jesus came into this world, we don't read of any of the prayers about the unbelievers in Germany, or in France, or in other parts of the world. Jesus knew that what he had to do, had to do, he had to do it right there. And whatever he did, he did right there in Israel first. Knowing that the day would come when it would go out to all the earth. You don't have to solve all the world's problems. We have a 24-hour news service of media that is informing us about stuff that is all happening around the world and there is pain and suffering everywhere. And you and I cannot solve that. But we're not called to. But we are called to see in our own circles. And we have them. Nephews, nieces, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, cousins, Friends, people have gone astray, people that are hurting, people that are broken. What are we doing? Are we sleeping, enjoying the best life now? Or are we awake? Jesus says, be awake. Be awake and watching means that you're looking at the world and your own life through the lens of the word of God. What are we watching for? In the preceding portion, Jesus had warned how the world would develop of all the wars and the rumors of wars, of famine, persecutions, natural disasters. But I want to look at just this one word that we find in verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I mentioned that this morning too, that, that that's why you see such a huge and growing divide in this nation because love has grown, because of lawlessness, the love of many has grown cold. And that's why you're seeing a greater and greater divide that Americans that share the same space, the same nation, the same government are getting to the point they cannot even talk to each other because of lawlessness. This word, lawlessness, grabs me intensely about our times. At the end of the book of Judges, we have this statement. There was, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There is not a better definition anywhere of what lawlessness is. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. 
Brothers and sisters, when you live in a day when being an upright, lawful, and moral person is no longer admired, and I'm not talking about salvation by works. What I'm talking about is a culture and a society that there are a lot of Christians and there's a lot of, but there's, overall, there's an admiration for integrity, for character, for truth. Not everybody's a Christian, but upright behavior, moral behavior, is held up in highest esteem. It used to be not so long ago that in this country that if a man was a candidate for the office of president, if he had an affair, it was done. Because the whole nation said, that man is not fit for office. That's out the window. Because that's the time we live in. When you live in a day when children and teenagers are regular, regularly cursing out those who are in authority, parents, grandparents, teachers, employees, cursing out employers, employers, cursing out employees, customers, cursing out everybody. When you live in a day when those who are in authority are telling children that there is no right or wrong and whatever you want to do is what you should do. When you live in a day when grandparents, parents, adults, and all those in authority really have no idea of what is right and wrong anymore, you are living in a time of lawlessness. And that is a sign that judgment is coming. Watch for that. In summary, what are we watching for? We're watching for the truth of the word of God. The word of God tells us that because of sin, the world is filled with pain, shame, anger, guilt, fear, and lawlessness. Here's a question that you can ask yourself, whether you're young or old. Do you think that the world and humanity looks the way that it should? Question number one. Question number two, do you think that humanity can... can survive and thrive on the pathway that it's currently on? Well, if you say yes to both those questions, I'll be honest, I don't even know why you're here. <laughs> Honestly. Because the truth is, is outside these walls, we're, we're all these unbelievers and all these people who have rejected God and rejected the word of God and rejected the authority of God, most people will answer that both questions no. Because even though they don't believe in God and they hate God and they hate his word and they hate his authority and they hate his truth, they know and say it all the time. Humanity is messed up. And they have no hope. They have no hope. Right now there's all these scenarios of AI taking over the world and humans being killed off, etc. And you can't believe how many of the ungodly are saying, we can't wait till that happens. So if you see that, and you can answer those questions and say, no, the trajectory we're on, even as a nation, as a people, the trajectory we're on, the pathway that we're on, is going down fast, and you cannot sustain what we're doing, then you know that we're living in a time of judgment. That's a fact. 
But what, what do we do if we live in such a time and a place? And the second word is to be ready. Verse 44, therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready, be alert, be awake. You know, these are, these are military terms. And, you know, I, when I had a business, I always used to say the things that I learned from the Army. And, and one of them was, stay alert, stay alive. Very small statement, very easy to memorize. Soldiers aren't that bright. We just like things simple. And stay alert, stay alive. If you're a child of God in Christ, you need to be alert. You need to be awake. You need to be preparing and getting ready. Brothers and sisters, what fools so many of us in times like this, and the reason that we we fall asleep, the reason that we kind of get sleepy and we're not paying attention like we ought to, is that life continues, no matter how bad, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up things are, life continues to move in quite regular patterns. Farmers are still planting in the spring and reaping in the fall. People are still going to work. People are still buying and selling. People are still getting married and buying homes. People are still having children, etc. All the things that we always do, whether the times are, are, are more blessed or less, all those things keep going. And it might be that your little slice of life, it looks really good. Your, your, your company is very successful. Your children are doing well, right? And, and everybody's busy. We're making plenty of money. Things are going good. Church is good. Everything's fine. But it's not. It's not fine at all. We say to ourselves, it's not that bad. The world has always had problems. Every generation has had their problems, and that's a fact. That's a reality. But then we say, ours probably aren't any worse. Well, there comes a point where you have to say, wait a second, no. This is worse. This is not good. But we drift back to sleep. But the Word of God says, no. Wake up. Be ready. Be prepared. And, and so how do we get ready? How do we prepare? And I'll just give us two examples quickly. First of all, in, in Luke chapter 10, at the end of that chapter, verses 38 through 42, you have the little story about Mary and Martha, and Jesus is visiting, and they're having a little dinner party. And obviously, most of you know that, that this story. Um, partway through the story, Mary or Martha is very, very upset. She's doing all the work. She's getting everything ready. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, if it wasn't Jesus that's there, if it wasn't the feet of Jesus that Mary was sitting at, Mary would have been wrong. She should have been helping her sister. But not there. Not at that moment. Not at that time. Why? Because you have the Lord of life sitting in your living room teaching and instructing and giving you the words of life. Giving you the words that no one else in this world can give you. 
Because Jesus could look at people and he knew what they needed. And that's exactly what he said. Mary or Martha came and complained and Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And that one thing, brothers and sisters, for us to truly be prepared is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. We need what only he can give, and he has given it. Every word that is given to us in the word of God is given to strengthen us, to encourage us, to lift us up, and to tell us that no matter how black the night is, it does not matter, because if you have Jesus Christ with you and in you, you have nothing to fear. Even... And this is the other one I wanted to look at for just a moment. But even when you look at the, the, the armor of God that the Apostle Paul talks about in, in Ephesians 6, gird your waist with truth. The belt of truth is at the center of God's armor. And this is obviously speaking of knowing the word of God, the truth of God. But it's more than that, brothers and sisters, because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you're really wearing Christ around your waist. He is that belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, we are called to walk uprightly. There's no doubt that the children of God in Christ are called to walk in a way and called to defend the way that we walk before the world. Why do we do what we do? Why, why do we listen to the boundaries that, that God lays down in his word? When Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands, why do we do that? Well, because I want to go to heaven. Well, that's true. But we do it, brothers and sisters, because it's the way of blessing. It is the road of blessing. And it's the only path of blessing. When God lays down boundaries, he does it out of love. Just like a father and a mother taking care of our children. When you tell your children, don't touch the stove because you're going to burn yourself, that's not a game. Well, they really don't want me to touch the stove because, uh, you know, they're afraid of, you know, I'm going to cook something better than them. Whatever, right? So you're sitting there. What, 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 you're really telling your child not to touch the stove because it's good for you? No. Brothers and sisters, there's one path of blessing in this world, and it works. It works as for individuals. It works for the family. It works for the community. It works for a nation. The nation that has God at the center is a nation that rises. The United States is probably one of the greatest nations this world has ever seen, and it's all because it was based on the word of God. And we're abandoning that. You and I have to know and have full confidence that when we tell our sons and daughters that, you know, our kids grow up in a, in a we're growing up in a, in a horrible time. Sons and daughters from these churches are getting into their 20s and they're starting to go off with their girlfriends and their boyfriends on overnight trips. And the parents are like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know what to do. They're adults now. Be gentle, because they are adults. But tell them, son, daughter, 
You don't understand. This isn't about shame. This isn't about me looking bad. This is about you. This is about your life. That when you start going down these roads, away from the truth of God, away from the truth of Christ, first of all, you can't have a relationship with God when you, when you turn your back on him. But second of all, those boundaries, when you follow those boundaries, you exalt that man or that woman that you love. When you say, no, we, I, I'm, I'm tempted, but you and I need to get married. If we're going to go down that road, let's get married now. Because I want to love you right. And I want you to love me right. And if we follow those boundaries, if we follow and stay within those guardrails that the Lord has laid down, our lives will be better. Do you have the confidence to say that? breastplate of righteousness, brothers and sisters, isn't just about our actions, but it's really Jesus is our righteousness. Why do we do what we do? So that we can be moral and upright in front of other people? No. We do what we do because Jesus has already done what he has done. He has already saved us. He has already brought us out of the horrible pit. He has already saved us from condemnation. And in love, our response is to love him back. And if you love me, obey me. Everything that we do by the grace of God is done to the glory and out of thankfulness to Jesus Christ for what he has done to us. Love returns love. He loves us. Now he calls me to love him back. And if I am truly saved... There's no other response. When you're truly saved and you truly have the Spirit of God in you, there's only one response. I'm going to love him back because he loves me so much. I'm going to wear the breastplate of his righteousness. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Again, this is the armor, right? The gospel of peace. And what is the gospel? Jesus. He's the only answer. It's it's literally heartbreaking, brothers and sisters, that these young people in this country today, it's just, it's like they're inoculated, and and a lot of it has to do with their schooling because public schooling, et cetera, has has really driven hard to to say that God and and the Bible are wrong. And And then what happens is they're inoculated against the gospel. They're inoculated against the word of God. But here's the thing. The suicide rates are shooting up. How many young people feel hope in today's world? They don't. They don't. They are extremely cynical and extremely negative. And they realize that everything is broken but they have no idea of how to fix it. 
Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only one who can give us hope. He's the only one who can fix things. He's the only one who can heal things. And if you and I are getting ready and being prepared and putting on the armor of God and and literally putting on Christ, you have to have that conviction. He's the only way out of the darkness. And above all, the shield of faith. When we're getting ready and when we're preparing, that's what we're doing. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're learning from him. We're learning from his word. We're growing in confidence and understanding of who he is and what he is and what he has done and what he will do in our lives. And people need to see that from you. They need to see it from me. You can't just tell some poor, messed up, broken person, well, you should believe in Jesus. You should turn from your wicked ways and turn and believe in Jesus like me. I'm a good person. It's not going to work. The only thing that works is if you look like Jesus. And guess what Jesus did? He went down sat next to them. He talked to them. He asked them about what their lives were like. He ate and drank at a table and showed compassion and showed mercy. He did not come in judgment. He came in love. But he didn't say, I'm going to come over to your pit over here. And then I'm just going to hang out where you are. He loved them. He showed them compassion. He showed them mercy. And then he stood up. And he said, come, follow me. That's what Jesus does. So that's what it is to get ready. It's to know Jesus. To know his ways. To know his love and his mercy and his compassion. And to be able to share that. Finally, brothers and sisters, be faithful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will, will find so doing. We don't have much time left. I've probably already gone over time. Sorry. Um, but I love this text because of two things. It's simplicity and it's comfort. Right? The world's in a bad state. There's no doubt. And the truth is, is we need to be awake to the idea that, you know what, Jesus could come. Judgment could come at any time. The Lord does not want us to be in fear. He wants us to be awake. He wants us to be ready. And he wants us to be faithfully doing his will. That's what this text says. Everybody is involved in the idea of giving food. And a lot of us just don't understand that. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Now, what does it mean to give food? 
And what I'd like to do is just look at, at one text, and I don't have time to, to go any deeper than that, but in Matthew 25, the last one that he says, it, it talks about Jesus coming in all his glory with his angels. And then he divides between the sheep and the goats. And he, and he divides on this basis. He said, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And of course, they say, the sheep that Jesus says, come, come here to my right side and, and come to, uh, to, the, to the kingdom that the Lord has, the Father has prepared for you from before the foundations of the earth. He, he says, they're like, when did we do that? We don't remember that. He says, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I'm telling you right now, broken people are broken, and they look, they look broken, and they don't look like anything you want to go near. That's a fact. Because all of these things, they're not just talking about physical. Obviously, if somebody comes down the street and they don't have any clothes, it's easy enough to give them some clothes, right? But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something deeper. These are all spiritual truths. I was hungry. That means that there's one of God's sons or daughters that's, not, that's still in the darkness, and they're literally starving for the food from heaven. They're thirsting. They're dying of thirst for the water of life. Strangers, they're not Dutch. My wife just got a, she just got a shirt today from one of her sister-in-laws, and it says, I'm not Dutch. I'm like, don't wear that, okay? She's not Dutch, and she's like, I'm proud of it. And I'm like, whatever. Um, we have our culture. We have our ways. We think we're very open. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, Jesus challenges us to go outside of our box. People that are broken, people that are hurting, people that are suffering, people that are struggling, they're not easy to help. And if it's just you doing it out of your own goodness, your own morality, it won't last long because I promise you when you help somebody that really needs help, they will punch you right in the nose. They just do. Because that's part of the brokenness. And so if you're just doing it out of yourself and your, your desire to, to do something good and to feel good about yourself, you're going to come to the end of that very quickly when you help broken people. It has to be done and can only be done with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, because you know that in the eyes of our God that you were as broken, as messed up, as stinking 
bad or worse than this person in front of you. Yet he came and got you. He loved you when you were very unlovable. And those who are broken, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are naked, those who are in prison, etc., They're in a bad place. They need something more than what you can do, but you have it in you. You have the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus Christ with you. And He wants you to give that person food. The food of the gospel. He wants you to give them the clothing of Jesus Christ. He wants you to help them to, to be taken out of the prison that their desires and ambitions have put them in. You and I cannot do that on our own, but in Christ we can do all things. This is the work that we're called to. We don't need to worry about how bad and how lawless things are. We do because it does affect us. It affects our families. It affects our jobs, etc. But in the end, the worry or the fear or the anxiety of the terror that's coming, we don't have to be afraid of that if we're doing what God calls us to do. Listen, look at what that text says. Verse 46, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. That's comfort. Doing what he wants us to do. Being awake, watching, being prepared, continuing to sit at the feet of Christ, continuing to get what only he can give, and continuing to give it. To care. And brothers and sisters, you don't have to go to Africa. And there's a lot of, there is a lot of need in Africa. There's just no doubt about it. But there's a lot of need around us. Every one of our families. Every one of our extended families. Friends that maybe we've known from, from kindergarten who've gone astray. Are we loving them? in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you watching? Are you preparing? Are you faithful in seeking to care for those who are hungering and thirsting, naked, sick, or bound up in the prisons of their own desires and sins? If you are, the Lord says, blessed are you. Those who are watching, preparing, and doing what our Lord desires have nothing to fear. Brothers and sisters, that's my prayer for you and myself in this coming year. That we would be just given grace and strength and encouragement to keep learning and growing more effective in doing God's will. Because you will find that whatever unnamed fears and anxieties we have about the world around us, that the more that we're doing what God calls us to do, what our master calls us to do, that fear just starts to drop. You have nothing to fear.
If you're doing his will and his work, if you are showing his mercy, his compassion, and his love, you have nothing to fear. Amen. Father, once again, we come before you this evening hour, and we, we ask, Lord, that you would apply this word to our hearts, to our minds. Father, we know that by nature we are lazy. And by nature we try to do way too much out of our own flesh. But we pray, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would fill us with your word and your spirit. That even as our Lord Jesus said, that, that the Father and, and myself will come and dwell in your heart. Father, we know that it's only through the working of the Holy Spirit that we can do your will at all. But we pray that we would know you better and better, that we would know the depth of your compassion, your love, your mercy, and your goodness, that we would revel in it, that we would be so filled with thankfulness. And then out of that thankfulness that we would go forth, maybe slowly at first, just beginning to pray for somebody that we know that's hurting, and then to begin to reach out to them meekly, gently, but always in faith and in hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that, that Jesus is the only one who can heal this world. He is the only one who can fix what is broken. Father, blessed be your holy name and blessed be all those who are doing your will in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen.